Welcome in, everybody. This is the Orlando Drummer Podcast, episode 15. 15 is a cool one. That's a little little uh, landmark, isn't it, Chris? Si, quince, senor. <laughs> quince, I forgot. I used to know how to count pretty well in Spanish back in yeah? the day. Yeah, I can count up to... A hundred at least. Yeah, yeah. I used to. I was never fluent in Spanish, but I got pretty decent in high school. I had three years of it, I think. Oh yeah, I think I had. Oh man, total like five years if you count middle school. I went to like a advanced middle school where they were just like foreign languages. Let's go. Yeah. And then just around a bunch of Spanish people for forever. Yeah. Until even today, I'm around. Puerto Ricans all the time. Sure. It's so the it's most like, useful language, to, the second language to speak in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in Florida. It's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you go to Miami. Know. You go to Miami at a certain time. Like, you're the weird one for not speaking English. There, yeah. There are four speaking English. I've been to like yeah. 7-Elevens where like nobody's like, whoa, like where am yeah. I? It's fun. <laughs> all Cubans down there. Yeah. Yeah. Cubans, Puerto Ricans. That's funny. Well, yeah. here we are talking. <laughs> Learn some Welcome Spanish. to Drum Podcast. Welcome, yeah. welcome. <laughs> Learn a second language. It's important. Yeah. Um, yeah, 15. We made it. We made it. Yeah. I, uh, I've i been listening to some loops. Some loops? Some loops. What you yeah. got? I just picture you <laughs> just sitting around just playing loops. Just loops. Just loops. No drums. No just play. loops. <laughs> there is drumming involved. It's just on the desk. Driving around town. Just got a, <laughs> got a drumless loop jam. That's all. <laughs> Offline playback with the ODTV app. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, so I picked one that we could highlight this week. Uh, sure. As we do every week now. Uh, and I really liked the Phil Mango bass loop pack. Phil Mango. And I chose bass loop four. Uh, a lot of them have, there's a big range of tempos there. Yeah. It's just in the middle. I think it's at like 80. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Interesting. The Phil Mango one. So I would be lying if I said I knew that particular loop off the top of my head. But the bass packs are fun. I'd like to do another one. There's the Phil Mango um, bass loop pack and then the Nas bass mm-hmm. loop pack as well. And they're both very different. It's fun bringing in bassists and saying like just lay down you know, like an A B section weird bass lines and seeing the different styles they come up with. Yeah, they're they're a lot of fun. All right, so let's let's play that one. Loop four, you said? Yeah, loop four. All right, here we go. Sonar Safari, dude. I remember. Uh, I loved using that kit so much. We talked about micro kits last, last week. Yeah. Last week, yeah, yeah. But I remember tracking back whenever that was, twenty fifteen or sixteen. I think was when when that particular pack came out. But yeah, I tracked a whole bunch of stuff on that little Safari, man. That thing sounded good through a little mixing board, and I had a nicer setup at the time. I was just in this little phase of I loved the like compact, ultra simple setup. It was a ton of fun, man. Yeah. So yeah, good choice. Yeah, yeah. My one note I wrote for that um, is in all caps: stank face. Stank face. I probably that was. <laughs> yeah, bass probably. Stank face. Yeah, who's, man. Who's a bassist you'd want to track a loop pack with? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, some of the most famous ones would come up. Like Flea would be really fun. Like fun- <laughs> funk rock it comes to mind immediately for me. Chris Coleman. Chris Coleman. <laughs> good one. Yeah, that'd be a good one. I'm not totally sure. I mean, to be to be honest, my 
my relationship to like bassists is a lot of times watching like YouTube freak bassists. Mm-hmm. There's one Polish guy. Somebody comment his name, man. I can't remember that guy's name. There's a Polish guy, a bunch of videos of him at NAM, just absolutely shredding. Another Italian guy, but man, I'm sorry, I'm doing a horrible job. Yeah, I know. That <laughs> people guy. in other countries play bass. Did there's, you, did you that, familiar yeah, with that? Yeah, I'm a I'm gonna do one too. There's that one guy on YouTube, can't remember his name. Yeah. Uh, he just has like a straight face, never shows any emotion in his face while playing like crazy bass parts huh maybe we're talking about he's, an, he's a youtuber probably yeah. i don't know <laughs> that knows? polish guy that italian yeah guy. so faceless dudes and uh people from other countries who play bass that's who we're into so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this yeah. isn't a bass podcast yeah well i don't know drums and bass have such a weird like relationship together yeah. it makes sense that that we would do more like bass sort of stuff you know it's um yeah, I don't know. It, it Base packs make a lot of sense to me. We definitely should do another one. That's a good idea. I'll text Joe. I'll text Joe. We'll see if we can work something out. Ooh. We're still mid-dubstep right now. Loop 4 just came out this past weekend for members. Loop 5 is this upcoming Saturday. And then this Saturday, actually, for those watching, um, is the launch of the dubstep pack. So check the description. Maybe I'll throw a little, little discount code in there for you. But we do have another discount code. Uh, ODPC saves you 25% on your first two months of OrlandoDrummer.com. Uh, OrlandoDrummer.com, online education platform in the style of Netflix. Imagine Netflix for drum lessons, and that's what you got. We have over 160 hours of content. Really, we've done 15 podcasts. If you count the podcast, we're at 175 hours of content. <laughs> it's a, Hours is a weird metric to use, but it's a lot. So imagine like 50 drum DVDs. That, that's the best way I can think of it it's it's a ton of content master classes audio video lessons social media master classes grooves rudiments paradiddles you name it we it's, got it all it's enough to take up your time a whole lot of your time yeah, yeah. and you're gonna watch them more than once just Probably. so you can get every detail in you're gonna learn a lot it's gonna be great absolutely you're, you're gonna be a better drummer because of it yeah man that's yeah. the goal yeah uh okay cool we'll move on then from talking about stuff you do, stuff you don't do in Player Puzzle. Player Puzzle. Yeah. With so many drummers out there, it's hard to tell the difference, but some stand out so well that they're very recognizable. In Player Puzzle, we'll provide three hints to see if Adam can guess who's playing. Let's see if we can stump him this week. All right. Did you give me last week? Uh, Which was, Eric and Proto was the last stump. Was that last week or the week before? Yeah. And then you got the other one. The clo- Aaron Gillespie. That was the Which close. That was the close call. Yeah. Yeah. Where I basically gave you the answer to that one. <laughs> basically, yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna try not to do that today. All right. So what is our first hint today? Click on circuit. 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 All right. Audio clip. Play a puzzle one. Huh. I, I heard I heard metal influence, not any metal, but I heard okay, this is so tricky. I have a buddy, uh shout out shout out Mikey Bolko, who was the manager at the Sam Ash drum department over a decade ago when I worked there, and he was a metal player who had this clear background in metal, 
But at, when he played other things, you could hear the metal left over mm-hmm. in his playing. So like when he would do like blah, 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 like that flam thing, there was like a certain spacing of the flam that only a metal player would have. And then that mix too was like weirdly modern for that style. So I'm leaning towards somebody with a metal influence. But beyond that, I'm not totally, totally sure. Also, maybe another metally hint here in that from that audio clip was the bell of that ride. That sounded like a mega bell, like ding, like the mo- the most obvious mm. like giant bell, mm. right? Or maybe did I EQ the audio? <laughs> Do mm. be dirty, man. <laughs> I know how to use logic. It's like I'm replacing all the drums in the audio. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought about really messing with different components of these to see if maybe I can <laughs> just twist and you know modify the mix you're so speeding much them up by like 10 percent. i it. could i have that ability because you're supposed to be able to recognize these players yeah no matter what no matter what <laughs> this um, is something you play when they were six so, <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead oh i got i got a little fun fact about this okay drummer their favorite stand-up comedian is bill burr bill burr that that uh, <laughs> Benny was who I want to say, right? It, yeah. Because I know that they've met before. I, I was going to say, I, I've, I've heard a lot of interviews from drummers for preparing for this segment. Yeah. A lot of drummers like Bill Burr. Well, because you find out he's a drummer. Yeah. Right? So that, that, that puts <laughs> go, it over oh. the top. I mean, I also look at him as like universally like, unless you're offended at everything, which in, in which case stand-up oh. comedy is probably not your jam. Yeah, but, you know, oh. he's a hard comedian to dislike. The guy's so really funny. funny. Oh my he's God. insanely funny. And then you find out he's a drummer and, yeah, puts it and over the top. And he's a good drummer. He's not I've even just like... never seen a clip of him playing. Is he really good? He plays like older um, Zeppelin tunes that he's just like really good at. And he plays gigs. He doesn't just kind of no go, way. I'm a drummer and that's what I do. He'll like... When he was gigging a lot for yeah. stand-up comedy, he would do drumming gigs and then go from that gig to a comedy gig wow yeah that's awesome you know the other weird thing i feel like maybe i heard this on a rogan podcast or something but he's a helicopter pilot yeah as well what which i mean i just look at that as like three completely separate skill sets like we all know everybody listening here knows that playing drums is its own very isolated skill set and if you're not a professional drummer you have another profession more than likely another thing that that's like your main go-to hobby but throwing a third one on the top of there, boy, that it, it gets tricky when you start stacking up your interests like that. Like, how yeah. many things can you be that good at, you yeah. know? It's and like, helicopter pilot is so black and white. You can't be an okay helicopter pilot. Yeah. You, you have, have to be. You have to actually yeah. be one, dude. We're all going to die. Yeah. You have to be good. It's like Lewis Hamilton. You find, I mean, he's the fastest 11-time world champion F1 driver. And then okay. you're just like... Oh, he's also really good at guitar. Yeah. Like, he, he can't just like drive the fastest vehicle on earth. He can also shred. Yeah. And you're just like, why do you need to do that? Yeah. All right, cool. It's amazing, man. Yeah, some people. Um, okay, so uh, <laughs> back to drums. <laughs> that hymn doesn't help a ton. I'm sure a lot of people, would, well, really, Benny is the only person that comes to mind who I know has some kind of relationship with Bill Burr. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. It's still in the Bill Burr thing. I've always wondered since finding out he's a drummer, I've always wondered, like, it's such a tiny little community. Like, what are the... Who does he watch on YouTube? Like, what's the chances he's seen any one of my lessons? If he's watching now, if Bill's watching now, Mm -hmm. come on the podcast. Come on the podcast. Talk about drums. Yeah. We'll do remotely. I don't care. Yeah. I'll take off off work. That would be sick. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Bill Burr, if you never got an invite for a drum podcast, here it is. Officially invited, brother. Cool. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Back to the segment that okay. we record here on this podcast. Um, I got a little photo. Okay. This is sort of a kit photo. Well, that's one portion of the kit. Okay. I'm hoping it gives you a hint because the other ones weren't fair that I found. Okay. So go ahead and click on circuit. Circuit. Hmm. So the Maryland flag. This is my old stomping grounds. These guys don't know. I was born and raised in Maryland. Hmm. Um, Could this be you? So <laughs> I've never had. Who's the only? Okay. I also I worked at a summer camp years ago when I was 13, 14. And there was a guy there named Zach Merrick. And we haven't really kept in touch. I don't know him that well now, but but Zach was a little older, 16, 17, and he gave me an EP for his band one time. And he said, hey, you should uh, come see my band. We're playing later this summer. This is a startup band, young guy. And that band was all-time low, long before they were famous or signed or anything. And they ended up being massive. And I remember I'd gone back over the summers. We had gone and, and seen them as they got huge. It was weird because we like knew all of these guys. And the drummer, whose name I can't remember, the drummer for All Time Low had a kit fully wrapped in the Maryland flag. I think it was a truth kit. And I always remember that was like, I thought that was kind of dope. Like, I wish I had thought of that, you know. Oh, yeah. It's really a hideous flag. Oh, it's totally. It's, it's a, terrible. That's a bad flag. It looks but, like a puzzle. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad puzzle. But if you're from Maryland, you, like, you know you know that vibe. That or a crab, right? That's about all. <laughs> All you get to, to rock Maryland. That's all you guys get. <laughs> so if we're going metal, Maryland, I do have a short list of drummers that would come up. So what is this brand? Does that say PVC drums, uh, as in a PVC pipe? You got to figure it out, man. Huh. Provide the photo. So I'm going through the initials of some of these drummers. I mean, there's a weird southern... Maybe not Southern Maryland. That's where I'm from. But there's a weird Maryland metal scene that I wasn't aware even existed until I moved to Florida. And then there was a whole bunch of artists that kind of came up in like Bethesda and Rockville. And was like, wait a minute. I grew up really close to there. And there's a bunch of drummers that are from, from that area. So I've got three in my head. And I've really just got to guess. Is there any other, any other hints at all for this one? Is that what we got? I'll show you another kit photo. You have another kit photo? Well, there's two other photos in there you can click on. Forgot to name them. Uh, okay. Um, the orange? You can go for, yeah, click on the orange. The orange one. Okay. So I see, oh, Tama doesn't help because it helps. It. I'm trying to narrow down between these two. Is there other stuff in that photo? Ah, crap. There's some gear in the background there. Yeah. Okay. So let me tell you the two that I'm between here. I'm between... Uh, a Noop Sastry and Alex Rudinger, because if we're going Maryland metal, that's kind of where we're at. The other one, I guess, would be Matt Halpern, but I don't know why that playing his playing would be a little more, a little easier for me to recognize. Uh, it's tricky too because the Vic Firths don't help. I believe they both are on Tama sticks now, so I'm not too sure Tama about makes sticks. Yeah, Tama makes sticks. Huh. I believe they both got signatures, if I'm not mistaken. Ooh. Um. Man, so between those two guys, and they have similar play styles, right? Both very heavy-handed, very articulate, metal influence, but not limited to that. Ooh, Evans. You have a coin? We can flip a coin. Mm, yeah, that's about where I'm at, right? Just flipping a coin. Uh, okay, I will go. I'll chance it just based off of 
the fact that we use one of Alex Rudinger's tracks, that song Detached, was written by him. It's on the Minel um, Stick and Brush channel and the Minel Symbols YouTube channel, that performance. There's a whole lesson pack for Detached. But that song was written by Alex, so we'll, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to guess Alex Rudinger. It is Alex Rudinger. Hey, hey, brother Rudy. Awesome, man. That's a hard one. Very hard. If not for Maryland, I don't think I would have got it. It was like the only non-metal-styled clip of him playing yeah. that I could find. Yeah. Nothing, by the way... I'm sure he shreds. There is a nothing on the internet of him just playing. Every clip is him playing to music. Playing to music. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. He. Um. I'd say one of the last things I saw that just impressed the shit out of me was Mario, the Mario theme. Man, he did a metal, a metal take of that. Oh my god, it was so creative, man. It was very cool. This was this was probably two or three years ago, but that video always pops up as like a good go-to if you've never heard of him. Like, check him out, man. He absolutely shreds. There's another famous Mario theme drummer video. There is, isn't there? Um, yeah, what is that called? It's probably just Mario theme on drums. Mario on drums is probably the, there you go. the name of it. Yeah. And it's very famous from like 12 years ago. Yeah, I OG think I know what you're talking about. YouTube yeah. days where the dude orchestrated and annotated an entire piece that he could play live. Wow. And then eventually it made its way to an orchestra and he recorded it with an orchestra many many years later man that's awesome yeah well alex rudinger that's a that was a good one man very good og yeah. youtuber for sure he's been posting youtube videos i feel like longer than i have if you haven't seen alex rudinger by this point and you're a drummer who are what are you doing? yeah what are you doing what are good you doing Lord. he's an absolute og and a sweetheart yeah. of a guy i've had several phone calls with him super super nice guy loved working with him this past year so shout out alex man that was a good one cool all right that's one of two all right let's move on to Numero dos. Numero dos. Here we go. This clip is called Away. Away. Player puzzle number two. so tricky that's so tricky that could be a number of people a number of people i heard man i got two guesses but they're not even similar so maybe i'll just float those two guesses in my head and we'll we'll take another hint yeah these two guesses i have it could have been either guy but they're not really that similar so maybe some more context will will help us out here this drummer received lessons from the drummer for the Bee Gees. Drummer for the Bee Gees. Who's the drummer for the Bee Gees? Uh, Ricky Lawson. Ricky Lawson, man. So heavy funk influence for sure. Live performance influence. I imagine you wouldn't want lessons from somebody like that unless you were planning on playing live. So this is probably not like a purist content creator. Probably not somebody very particularly young either. Um... That's tricky. So like a live player, I'd say a touch older to have interest in, in playing with someone from like a famous 60s, 70s band. And then that playing style. So that kind of helps me narrow down of my two choices, but not positive. What's our uh, what's our kit photo? Or do we have two? 
Just one kit photo. Just one kit uh, photo. And that's kit also photo. called away. Hey. Okay. Huh. Man, I, I wish I could recognize that that studio. It feels familiar, but I'm not positive. So we've got we've got Tama. I can tell that from the throne and then from the hi-hat pedal. The, so we have <coughs> mostly a Tama setup here. And but huh, this is a recording nerd. Nobody would have this type of audio setup like crazy hybridized kit unless they were an audio nerd. What are these overhead mics? What are those things? Very it, expensive microphones. They look they sure look expensive with yeah. that shock mount system on there. Huh. Okay, so based on the playing clip, based on that like the spaciness of the playing clip, the fact that he studied with like a guy like Ricky Lawson, and then this intense audio setup, I think and then Minel Tama. I think my best guess is going to be Brother Eman Cervantes. It is Eman. <laughs> it is Eman Cervantes. <laughs> the coffee awesome. already wore off. And awesome. I'm amazed that I, I. That was one of my two guesses from the playing clip. I feel like I. What was the other guess? Forrest. But it wasn't busy really? enough for it wasn't busy enough for him. I was like, yeah. Forrest would have done a lot more yeah. in that amount of space. Man, yeah. I don't know what it is. His. I'll tell you what. I, I there was one time. Where him and I were talking, and he was he was telling me about the, a couple of really really cool gigs that he got hit up for, and you know I, I kind of asked him. I think the question was, what makes certain producers or engineers who are in situations where they have to hire a certain person, what makes them call you? Like, why would they call somebody mm -hmm. from across the country instead of somebody in their own city to play like basic rock beats? You know, like what what makes you stand out there? And he said that his playing as described to him by the people he works with, is bombastic. Like giant, through the drum set, like leaving appropriate amount of space, but like explosive playing, even if the playing is very simple. And to be honest, it kind of reminds me of like when Aaron Spears plays Pocket. It's got like a thick heaviness to it right. that like, and I don't mean this in, in anything, because both of these are like larger guys, but it's a quality that you see from larger people. Like yeah. when, when your arms, when your bones are that thick and your shoulders are that tall and wide, like there's a certain way that you can lay into the drums that's like really discernible, you know? I don't know. There was like a certain like thick quality to that playing uh, that reminded me of E-Man for sure. But he's also brought, he's brought Kelly and I to like probably 10 or 15 Andy Grammer shows over the years. So I've seen his playing like up close in person, like a lot, you know, at least an hour or two for each one of those shows. Um, and I've watched plenty of his content and stuff as well. So that was a tricky one for sure, but I'm glad I got that. I should get that as much as I've seen E-Man play. I'm yeah. Amazing drummer if you guys aren't familiar with E-Man. Minel artist as well. Yes, he is. Yeah. That clip was short. Tried to keep it short, but you still got it. <laughs> that was That's a good one, awesome. man. Really good. Yeah. we found, I found out about the Ricky Lawson thing from the interview you did on the site. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. That was so many years ago. I totally forgot about yeah. that. Old studio stuff. Yeah. 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 That was at least five years ago, maybe more. Something. Something like that. Something. Yeah. Yeah. He was at the old. I forgot we have an interview with him. Yeah. So yeah. Clip of the interview up. Yeah. If you want to learn more about that E-Man or at least what he was doing a few years back. Obviously, none of the fundamentals have, have changed. But um, yeah, man, he's an awesome player. Awesome guy. Good friend of mine for sure. He was supposed to come to my wedding. He couldn't couldn't make it. But uh, 
yeah, he was one of the bummers that couldn't come. But good dude, man. Good guy. Good friend. All right. Cool. Two for two player puzzle. All right. That'll end that out. You're doing great, man. Yeah. Look at you. Slaying streak. <laughs> I'll sit a loser forever. Okay. Move on to Accent or Ghost. Yes, sir. That's right. This is a piece where we get Adam's view on many aspects of the drumming industry. And at the end, we'll get an approval from him or an accent or a disapproval, which is a ghost. So what do we think about heavy hitters? Heavy hitter, wow. Just every bit of strength into every surface whatsoever. Yeah. Well, funny that we just mentioned, you know, that I just mentioned those those two guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are two awesome examples of heavy hitters. E-Man, Aaron Spears, of course, not the only ones. I mean, there's, we can name many, many people who, who are heavy hitters. Eloy Casagrande, one of the heaviest hitters on the planet. All of his arms into those hits. Oh my yeah. good, just baseball bats, but with yeah. speed and finesse and technique. Oh, he's he's a he's a freak. Um, I mean, I do think that you're better off being heavier, heavy-handed than like light-handed. I don't think that. So I don't know. Drums require such a level of confidence sometimes that I, that I'm not. I'm not sure I enjoy the playing personally of very, very like soft touch drummers. It, jazz is an exception, that's for sure, right? There's certain genres where the lighter touch is very appropriate and necessary, and it's a skill to be able to like dial your playing back down. But I also think I've I've talked about this with I think Eric and Proto, but maybe it was somebody else. I'm not sure. Um, about how like drums sound good when you lay into them. Like you bring out qualities of a drum that you might not hear if you play too quietly, you know? That doesn't mean you're supposed to play loud all the time. It certainly doesn't mean that. But like if you wanna really hear the difference between a birch tom and a maple tom, like it's not so obvious until you really smack the center of it with like a, a certain weight behind that stick, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody should stay in their lane or at least stay in alignment with their own skill sets and the genres that that works for. So if you were naturally heavy-handed, like maybe don't take the indie pop gig. You know, maybe that's just not suited for you. Maybe you would be more comfortable in rock or metal or something, I don't know, that, that suits you better when you're that heavy-handed. Um, you could say that conversely if you were you know, light-handed and you just, you enjoy playing that way, then there's a whole slew of genres that might be better suited for you as well. But on a personal level, I tend to like heavy-handed drummers. I think I'm a little closer to that side of the spectrum than not. I don't know that I would say, I'm not that big of a person. So like, I wouldn't call myself naturally heavy-handed, but my ears gravitate towards a little bit more robust playing, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, and I, I would like to have my playing described that way. I don't, know that I get to do that but um yeah so I'll give it the accent man I think uh that's where I lean naturally for sure and no shade to any of the any of the softies out there man you can tip tap them drums all day don't don't bother me <laughs> I know I know the only people that have an issue with heavy hitters are if you work at a Sam Ash or a guitar center yeah in the drum department well and, and, and if you suck like, yeah sometimes the the confidence level and the volume of people doesn't match the skill yeah like you just willing to come in and sit down and just bash drums yeah those are real people that's weird or nam is where you find those people too oh yeah that's a weird one yeah all right cool accent on heavy hitters yes sir all right there's some pictures that I, I sent you okay. on, on the little, little folder there. Let's see, accent or ghost? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. is this, this brother Darren? This is this is the Darren King headphone tape wraparound yeah, thing. Yeah, man. 
Yeah, God, this is so funny. There's two pictures. I'll put so them, first. Put them both have up. you have you seen? Well, live. had you seen ever him do this? I've seen it live. You've seen it. You saw Mute Math. I saw. I saw Mute Math. Um, I feel like I've seen him once or twice. Once when I was so young, I didn't even know who they are. But another time, I think a friend of mine had tickets somewhere. I don't remember who I went with or anything. It was at House of Blues down by. I went, that's where I saw them. It was House we of might Blues. have been at the same show five Probably. or ten <laughs> years ago. Maybe it was a long time ago. Uh, it must have been. Let's see how old was this might have been. Uh, I think I was twenty or 21 so it had to be five years ago at least maybe i can't remember kelly would know if she went or not oh man i have a pin from that show yeah still. did they did <laughs> did they use the floating air mattress to like jump on and pass around the crowd no um that's what i remember darren did a thing live where he like had everybody wear a glove mm. and then he did a drum solo where he would like trigger people like sounds by basically giving people high fives yeah it was it's very cool sure. it's obviously practically just really simple yeah but very cool to see live and when he came up he just has the role i think it's gaff tape it's not duct tape yeah and just puts headphones on and just goes around his head nine times yeah and then he's like okay that's not going anywhere yeah man well it's it they do that whole band does such a good job of Ugh. marrying together the artistic performance and musicality, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if you go really hard in one direction, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being just a great musician and putting very little focus on your actual, the the art of your performance itself. So, I, I don't know, what's an example? Like, Snarky Puppy. Like, what... The musicianship is not in question. The songwriting is not in question. The music isn't in question. But, like, if you were looking to be entertained in the realm of pyrotechnics or mm -hmm. fucking light shows or like that's not yeah. really what the like, you can't expect that from them that's not yeah. what they do and then i suppose you could go to like let's just say a really bad pop act where it's all theatrics and the music is like did yeah. somebody write this in like a conference room like <laughs> there's no you know yeah. there's nothing to the music there's no substance to the music but mute mouth is a good example of like a really cool blend man because there's a lot of entertaining moments that happen at their shows and the music is good as well you know it's, it's really hard to it's pretty likable music i think um it's a touch indie but i mean it's really hard to listen to that and say it's bad music oh yeah and he's a sick drummer he's a, the drums he, also on their album sound like absolute duct tape cardboard boxes yeah but it's perfect it's also yep. exactly how they're supposed to sound yep. you know what i mean he is in my top three is he really oh yeah he's i went on a darren king kick for years i wanted to be him <laughs> it was so i mean and then seeing him live it was like another yeah. thing i was like oh my god he's fantastic <laughs> he's man so he heavy funk influence but very modern yeah. rock pop indie all that blend yeah, man, he's he's a great, great drummer. Um, okay, but another tooting his horn. What yeah. do you think about the duct tape? The thing? duct taping or on the head. Thing. Okay, I, I will accent it on the principle that it's his thing. But if anybody else ever does this, that's the hardest ghost ever. Nobody else gets to do it. <laughs> that belongs to him. It's his move. He pulls it off, and no other human being on the planet is ever allowed to do it. So it's a hyper isolated accent that belongs exclusively to Darren King. And if anybody else starts duct taping their head, I'm a ghost you so hard. Do not do this. <laughs> That's his thing. You know, it's like backflipping, backflipping over your kit onto the throne. Eric and Proto gets to do that. You don't get to do that. That's just how that works, right? So it's one of those. It's proprietary. So he gets the accent, but not for you. You at home. No, don't do that. <laughs> cool. All right. I agree. 
Um, last off okay. is uh, a video you sent to me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I sent you a lot of videos. What did I send you? Uh, you sent me a video by Signal about cardboard drums. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't watch that on purpose. Oh. Because I wanted to see. I wanted to like save it for the podcast, actually. Oh. Somebody submitted this, too. I'll find the YouTube comment. Um, oh, you know what? That's what it was. I have settings on my YouTube channel where if you drop a link, you know, nine times out of ten, it's normally spam. So dropping links gets your comment removed automatically from the channel. So you can't drop a YouTube link. But this guy did, and I still saw the notification. And anyway, I clicked the link, and that's what this was. So it was submitted by somebody listening to the podcast. Thank you for submitting that, by the way. And uh, let's play a little bit from this video. I mean, I couldn't do it, right? I can't believe how strong they are. The cardboard, they're the geniuses, man. Man, it's, it's interesting. They, they sound pretty thick and, I don't wanna use the word muddy, but yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you use the word cardboard oftentimes in the audio world to describe a sound if you want that dead non-resonant yeah. funk vintage sound you would say like you know cardboard yeah. or if you, uh, negatively too. or negatively Ugh, it that sounds, sounds like cardboard yeah yeah that would be like deeply insulting if you thought your kit sounded good yeah yeah i mean how was this supposed to turn out was it going to sound any any other way no, i think it was just like a test and seeing what you can do with recycled materials mm. so it's like you can't recycle wood, but what about cardboard? Yeah. And so then they just made it out of cardboard, which turns out to be this incredibly involved process with a lot of glue. So 90% yeah. of the shell is resin anyway. Which is not resonant, ironically. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Deadened sound. So yeah. they probably could have made it out better had they just made it out of raw cardboard. Or even I was going to say, could you achieve this sound but preserve more tone if you just muted the hell out of a normal drum set, right? Like you can almost just affect a normal drum set and mm -hmm. bring it down to this level of like mutedness. And it would probably sound a little better. I mean, I, I'm always so hesitant to ghost these because I never want to ghost somebody's attempt at doing something interesting. Like I'm, who am I to say you shouldn't try? Like go ahead and give it a shot. But also this was never, <laughs> this was never gonna work. So like the finished product and like, does it do anything for the drum industry? Like, ah, probably not. But that also wasn't necessarily the point. So I'll give them the accent for the attempt. But as far as really playing cardboard drums, no. I don't think so. I don't think anybody was yeah, was really going for it. Yeah, you know? I don't think you're gonna pay that. What, however much this costs to make, yeah. I'm sure it's not profitable whatsoever. So it's gonna be a really yeah. high price to sell for. I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, buy a Sonar Safari. Yeah, well, <laughs> maybe if you're the drummer of who's this, Eric Kretz, Stone Temple Pilots. You he, can buy whatever. He probably got a little set. money to throw around yeah. on some drum projects. At the same yeah. time, if you're taking the drummer from Stone Temple Pilots and you're saying, "Here's a kit," and he goes, "It's awesome," yeah. he doesn't have to take it home. Yeah, he's going to go home to whatever DW set he plays, and he's going to kill it, and it's going to sound great. Of course, I also want to mention before we move on that the number one comment on this is brother R David R, who <laughs> says, <laughs> "Who says I need this kit?" He said that a year ago. <laughs> I bet you do, brother. I think he made a cardboard <laughs> snare. Did he really? I, I mean, I'm sure he did. What has he not made, you know? 
That's a question. Um, he'd be a fun podcast guest, actually, R. David R. Hey, David. He's a cool guy. I've hung out with him a, a handful of times. Cool yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to talk about drums, David, come on the podcast. We'd yeah. Love, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Absolutely. We'll get him on here at some point. That'd be fun. All right. So we had an accent for heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. We had half accent, half ghost. Only Darren King can do the headphone wraparound mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Cardboard drums. Mm, we're going to go half and half again. Oh, the product man. itself gets ghosted. Come on, we were never going to use that anyway. But the attempt and the innovation and the fun of making something weird, always that'll get an accent, always. But let's be honest, do you want to buy the cardboard drums? Do you want to buy the cardboard drums? <laughs> Me neither. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, that'll end it out for accent or ghost. Let's move on. I like how structured I'm keeping it. It's very rigid. Doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. And and next step, next step is sleeper spotlight. Sleeper spotlight. Yeah. You know who I put? Po- who did I post on Instagram the other day? J Drums Forty Two posted mm-hmm. that one. People love that guy, man. He's um, God, he's so good. Such a good player. That was yeah. one of my favorite features so far. Also, the epitome of who we want, and just like, how do people not know who this is? Like, such a cool player, man. Yeah. Anyway, shout out to you. That was a great one. Cool. Yeah. Well, if, yeah. Set us up. Yeah. If you, if you don't know what this is, <laughs> in case you've never if you're seen confused this before. about why we're sleeping, <laughs> we're not sleeping. You're the ones that are sleeping. You're sleeping on drummers. So the, I'll take those drummers that you guys are sleeping on, and we'll get Adam's opinions, impressions, and if there's any, we'll get some constructive criticism, which is always great. People learn from that. That's awesome. So first up, I've got MPH underscore drummer20 or Miles Dunkley. Miles Less Dunkley. than 100 followers. Less than 100. New to yeah. the gram, I take it. Yeah. A little, well, a little bit. All right. A little bit, but let's check out his playing. I All think right. it's worth it. Miles number one. Yeah. Here we go. I recognize that group. Man, first of all, love the hair, dude. That's kind of how my hair looks <laughs> growing out like that wild. Um, awesome. I love that groove. There was also some stuff that he played going into that, which yeah. was pretty cool. Let's yeah. start. It's only 17 seconds. Let's watch that one more time. Cool, Phil, man. Cool. Definitely some advanced playing, that's for sure. I'm excited to see the other clip from him. Um, you know what I love, too? It's funny. Playing, posting lessons on original grooves like this one. This is a groove I wrote. What was that lesson called? Is that the coolest groove on YouTube? Coolest groove on YouTube. Maybe. I or, can't is it, or is it why is this feel so hard? Why is this groove so why hard? Why is this groove so hard? Maybe it was that one. I really can't or remember. Or is it perfect pattern? <laughs> Not perfect pattern. It wasn't perfect pattern, I don't think. I don't know. I lose the name and connection to what the groove. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even remember how to play that thing. <laughs> I really don't even know how to play that thing anymore. But it's funny because... I obviously have a very close connection with the grooves and fills that I write, not only because I wrote them and practiced them, but also because, you know, I had to develop the lesson. So I really dive into what the groove actually is. And then it's fun in the weeks after a lesson like that would come out, you get all the videos of people that like, they'll tag me in their stories or tag me in Instagram posts or just even email or whatever. 
And I would be lying if I said that everybody like nails it. There are some people, obviously some people get the groove wrong and I'll, you know, respectfully say, hey man, try doing this, this and this, it's real close, that sort of thing. But then there are times where people, like I can hear like, oh, you get it. Like you found the correct way to like deliver it where it sounds like how I hear it in my head as well, you know? And that's what I hear in this groove. Like he's, he got it enough to the point where it's got the exact feel that I hear on it, right? Just the certain amount, like there's a particular pocket to it, how you dig into those those sloshy eighth notes in the, in the beginning. And then there's certain dynamics where he really punched in certain parts. Anyway, so Miles, I thought your feel was like super, super tight on this. I love the way that you played it for sure. It's very similar to how I hear it in my head as well. Um, that was sick, man. Sick and badass feel to go in. Cool. Yeah. Let's, another let's do one from uh, Miles. Another one from Miles. Yep. Here we go. Clip two from Miles. Interesting film. Not sure exactly what was going on there. Some sort of six six four type combination. Weird little six stroke roll or paradiddle diddle sort of variation. Very cool, man. I like his style. I like um, a lot of the the ideas that he's using seem like tricky, but tastefully tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Like not ever done. Do you know how old Miles is? I'm, I'm guessing he's young. There's no information in his bio about okay. his age. But, gotcha. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, fairly advanced player for sure. Yeah. Definitely some good ideas. And I like the I like the very intentional dynamic separation. The quiet notes are very quiet. The loud notes are very loud. And to me, that's something that... I don't want to say like professional drummers are missing, but sometimes people, it takes a long time to get that sort of stuff dialed in, right? To like really have the specific notes within what you're playing, like punch out and stick out of the mix and have your dynamic, the low dynamics, like sit extra low and having those big spikes. I don't know. It just allows you to like, to like pop your playing in a certain way. And he seems to have that pretty dialed in. So I like his, his style for sure. So yeah, awesome. Shout out Miles and uh, his Instagram's on the screen. Go check him out. Give him a follow, man. That's a good one. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Miles. Yeah. Uh, next up is we're going to go older today. Okay. Older gentleman? Yeah. Okay. So we got uh, at Ezio Zach. Ezio Zach. Oh, man. You tried. That one over. You tried. <laughs> Zacagnini. Okay. He's got under 1,000 followers. He's Italian. Okay. Um, shout out, shout out, Italian brethren. Yeah, he does original tracks and plays okay. drums to them. So we got a few shorter ones. Most of the videos on his Instagram are long. Okay. Long. Gotcha. So these are shorter. All right. We'll check out clip one from Brother Ezio. Here we go.
Interesting. His um, he's got some swag on his left hand, doesn't he? He was like whipping that thing. Oh some, yeah, kind of some unique ways for sure. And definitely a seasoned player. You can see his technique is very, very dialed in. Very loose wrists in a in a great way. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you one thing that I would like to see differently, uh, and it's not even his playing at all. But the mix of the drum set is so boomy, so warm, which is probably a sound that he likes. But in this particular clip, I would have loved to hear like a tighter birch kit, right? Like something to really cut through. Some of the faster Tom stuff that he did, I wish there was more articulation because I could tell he's flying with like diddles on the Toms. But sometimes on like, let's just say like a 13-inch mahogany rack Tom, like you ain't hearing the diddles coming off of that one, right? Yeah. It just turns into like a ooh, like a, like a low-end sort of thing. There was a little bit of that happening. Um, but you know, one particular clip, so it's not, not a, a genuine complaint of mine. Um, oh, what are his symbols? These look like, are they Constantinople's? Um, like, it kind of look like looks high, like that, high but end something. Um, I'm not convinced they're, they're cons, but they sound good. They sound, look those like really deep hammer yeah, marks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are those? The, the medium Constantinople's have some of those. I mean, every symbol company makes certain symbols with those, right? It's like a, like a, like a yeah, ball hammer. I, I wonder right? if it's like a Turkish symbol, like, tur like actual Turkish symbols of the company. Yeah, because be I don't that. see any brands on anything. Or Istanbul. Istanbul, maybe. Yeah. Dream symbols. And, yeah, maybe Dream. They got some weirdo symbols too. Yeah. Yeah, I like his. Um, I like his playing a lot. I also just like how I use this word a lot in describing like what I like in anybody's playing, but like that exploratory nature of the playing, right? Where you can see that there's an element of of comfort within the improvisation right like they're used to exploring as they play and sort of talking out loud certain ideas and i like that i like that more than i like something that is totally rehearsed and of course there's a time and place to be totally rehearsed right i mean you're playing with a band or you're recording an album you better be totally rehearsed but uh when it comes to like finding online content you know, on Instagram or something like that. I love seeing people just talk, and he did a lot of that in this video. So that was really cool, man. Awesome. Let's do the next clip from him as yo. Here we go. Such cl yeah, clean buzzes with that left hand, man. Definitely a very clean player, very tasteful player too. A lot of like smart choices in there. Some of the little snare accents, right? Like just just smart placements of a, of a lot of the different ideas that he had. Also, you know, I might not have been totally audible for people just listening, but the left foot quarter note staying steady throughout a lot of those accent hits. That's a that's a little um, I don't know. That's a seasoned veteran thing, right? That was definitely some some good independence snuck in there for sure. And again, the looseness of his left hand, some of those buzzes, man. Definitely uh, a drummer with some miles on them. And I say that as a compliment. You know, you can see a lot of the a lot of the seasoning that um, that's taken place over the years. So, man, awesome drummer. And he's from Italy. 
Uh, yeah, I believe he's from Italy. Very uh, cool. In his own website, he's got an Italian flag. Uh, gotcha. And all of his descriptions on his Instagram are Italian. So translate some of those. Awesome. Read what they were. And you know, I still had the same. I had the same thought about the kit. I'm sure he plays the drums that he loves to play. I'm not telling you your your preferences are wrong, but but Ezio, I would love to hear you on a birch kit, like something a little bit more cutting. And maybe that's a thing you could just slightly tweak the EQ a little bit. But your playing is so so articulate and so fast at certain moments that the the warmth and the depth and the richness of that kit doesn't doesn't like quite match that it almost doesn't let me hear uh, exactly how articulate your playing is so i would love to hear you on a birch kit but again i'm just the dude on the internet with you know my whole whole ideology of personal preferences when it comes to drum sounds so mm-hmm. if you're if you're a maple then hey brother you play maple all day but uh, as one piece of criticism that is something i hear i'd love to hear you on mm-hmm. something real tight and snappy maybe it would just be a matter of eqing as well but very cool, man. Awesome sleepers this week, brother. Thanks, Chris. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. If you have any uh, suggestions for Sleeper Spotlight, please send them my way to chris at orlandodermer.com. Comment below. Share them. Reach out to us any way that you can. And we'll find them and we'll feature them on this segment of the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yes. So now, people get to ask some questions. Oh, a little Q&A. A little Q&A. If you don't know what Q&A means, it means question and answer. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm talking down to our listeners. Um, yeah, we got some questions. First one comes from Ethan Adams. In terms of overall quality of a drum, or drum video, be it a lesson or a performance, rank these in order of importance. Okay. Camera slash lens, mm-hmm. lighting, drum gear, setting and post-processing slash editing audio and video okay let me (laughs) let me type these out just to make sure i have them all in front of me okay so camera and lens lighting drum gear setting and then editing both audio and video yeah and then he says in other words how should one be spending most of their money slash time when wanting to have a sex successful online career so we'll rank those and then we'll get into that question. Okay, deep question, but a good one for yeah. sure. Because these are all these are all money pits. Let's be honest. You could just you could go broke down any one of these wormholes. So, being that we are first and foremost musicians, I mean, there's different types of musicians, but first and foremost, I think that's the thing you gotta be in love with, right? So, I'm gonna put drum gear as number one. I think it has to be has to be number one. That doesn't mean you have to own your dream kit before before you buy a nice camera, a nice lens, or invest in a better computer or a plug-in, you, you're gonna be skipping around this list for sure. But first and foremost, you should love your instrument and the sound that you're getting, or at least be satisfied or content with that. Um, I just think that has to be first, right? So yeah, definitely drum gear. Now second to that, I would say, you know, audio gear isn't on here, but maybe it doesn't need to be because you can get away with, we've talked about it on this podcast, one mic setup, two mic setups, get you a little Claret 2 channel, a couple nice overheads. You know, you can get away with that. So yeah, maybe we should just leave that out. Um, next in there, I think I'm going to say, I'm going to say editing would be next because if you get a really nice camera but you don't know how to do any type of color correction, sharpening, I mean, transforming, cropping, editing, basic transitions, 
you know, like what good is that footage if it's raw off of the camera and you don't know how to how to manipulate that footage at all? I would rather have like a GoPro, which you guys probably know from me talking over the years. I don't really like GoPro cameras at all. I don't recommend them to anybody. Ooh. It's an action camera used for outdoor sports. It's just not what we do. Um, also, if they're pretty exclusively like super wide, oftentimes too wide, and they they underperform iPhones indoors for the most part. I, anyway, we'll save GoPro for another podcast another Oof. day. Yeah, I don't like them. But I say that having owned many. Um, there's some in this studio actually, but I haven't touched them in years. <laughs> but either way, I would rather learn how to color correct on a GoPro, which you could get used for three or 400 bucks. You know, I'd rather learn that way than go buy the $1,000 camera and not know what to do with that footage. So I would say editing would be next, and you can learn how to get the basics of editing down off of iPhone footage or whatever, Android, you know, whatever you have. You can certainly color correct, sharpen, and work on transitions. You can get some editing fundamentals down before you have the nice camera. And then when you get the nice camera, you're gonna know what to do with that footage, right? So the next thing I would do would be get the camera, but shortly, so those are our top three. Drum gear, then a little bit of editing. I would get some, some editing skills under your belt. Then spend the money on the camera and the lens. Of those two, by the way, the camera and the lens, spend more money on the lens. Get the slightly cheaper camera that you want and spend the money on the glass. I think you'll, uh, this is expanded heavily in the drum, uh, the drum filming lesson pack. There's a whole lesson there on lenses. I'll link that in the description or somewhere around here. Um, definitely budget a little bit more for your lens. I normally recommend like a 60-40 split or a 70-30 split favoring the, the lens. So once you have that set up, in order to get the most out of that camera, your next purchase should probably be lighting. It should probably be lighting because, you know, yes, your camera has the ability to compensate for low light situations by turning up the ISO, or, I mean, you can manipulate the f-stop or anything. There's a, there's a lot of ways that you can manipulate your camera and your lens to compensate for poor lighting. But if you wanna get the most clarity, out of your camera, if you want your, your camera to, to give you the best image quality that you can possibly get, you're gonna need good lighting. That doesn't mean that nice cameras and lenses aren't gonna perform decent in low lighting. They'll perform a lot better than your phone and a hell of a lot better than a GoPro. Uh, but really to get your money's worth out of the camera, that's where the lights come in. So you could get that camera and make do with just regular lamps or something. But in order to get your money's worth, you're gonna to wanna to do lights next. So that's number four. And then number five would be the setting because I have made what I would consider to be decent quality videos in a black concrete box. I mean, how else would you describe the old studio, right? Black concrete box? Black concrete prison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, windowless prison. Yeah. Kind of like this. It's just a little, this yeah. is just the penthouse of the prison. Yeah, it's a this little is a little bit nicer. There's nicer chairs. Nice. There's nicer <laughs> chairs. <laughs> and it's not concrete, though the floor is concrete in here. Um, yeah, I, I think setting is, is probably the least important because and it's also, it's a cheap one to change. It's very easy to paint the walls. It's very easy to buy some Orlex foam if you want like the real studio aesthetic. But for me, I don't know, I've never gone overkill on the aesthetic, right? I mean, the lamps certainly help, but that's not really setting. That's just, that's like stage lighting sort of stuff. Yeah. So I would say the last thing is really setting. Now, this is again, is heavily expanded upon inside of the drum filming course, but your setting, it is going to determine what kind of lights are gonna work for you and especially what kind of lens and kind of the camera as well, right? Like if you're in a really small, sp small space, 
the lens is gonna be, a, that's a big decision that you have to make. Like a 50 millimeter lens is useless to you if you're filming in a 10 by 10 room. Like, good luck, you're just gonna be filming your elbows all day because the crop is so naturally tight, especially if you get an APS-C censored camera, like, well now it's cropped to like a 70 millimeter. So, you know, good luck with that. You need something really wide. So setting does sort of impact a lot of the previous stuff on the list, but ultimately I think you can work around whatever setting you happen to be in. So that's my list. Drum gear first, you should love your instrument. We're musicians, you know, first and foremost. Then editing, you can certainly spend plenty of time on editing um, and it'll set you up to know what to do with the footage that comes with your camera and your lens setup. Then if you wanna get the most out of that camera and lens, buy yourself some good lights. Um, and then, yeah, after you have all that stuff, maybe it's time to pick a, pick a good setting to put it all in, but of course, you can make all this work in a closet if you had to. So, yeah, great question, that was a lot of fun. Cool, second part of that though, uh, I mean, it's answered in that list. How should one be spending most of their money slash time when wanting to have a successful online career? Yeah, so I mean, that is kind of a separate question. I would say the the instrument and the camera and the lens, that falls in the category of like, get it out of the way. Like go ahead and put all the money there first, mm -hmm. get all that stuff out of the way, and then you can focus on the details. Lighting, you know, lights don't last forever. You're gonna upgrade them and swap them out and move them around. and Maybe you'll buy some you don't like. You, there's also cheaper solutions, so you don't have to go broke buying lighting. I will throw one other thing in that category, though, and that is a computer. You know, to it's like the mothership of a studio. Like yeah. you can just cripple your whole production with a weak computer. Um, my computer in this studio is one of the most expensive single purchases in the entire studio. It's more expensive than any individual camera, any individual lens. Maybe the drums kind of come close, but not. probably not. Probably not. It's probably the single most expensive yeah. thing is my iMac, right? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's mandatory. It's so, so essential. Yeah. And you will cry for a while about the price. Oh, it stinks. And it then, stinks, yeah. <laughs> but you'll only cry once. Like, yeah. Cry once, cry once is, is yeah. what well, another YouTuber I know of says. Yeah. It, it's true. It's you totally just buy true. it once and then you... Well, you don't and, have to think anymore. And also remember this too, man. If you go out and buy the 4K badass whatever camera, dude, you have no idea what that footage does to a computer. Oh like, my God. remember, 4K is four times bigger than 1080. It's four times the amount of data. And yes, that can sometimes translate to four times the the rendering time. So I mean, you can just absolutely brutalize a computer if it's underpowered for what you're doing. So. I mean, do my old iMac, it, one over here, It's uh, now it's just a dedicated audio computer, that's all it does. But the reason I had to upgrade from that iMac, which was still a great computer, was because I had uh, four cameras running 1080. And there were times where I'd record for 30 minutes. And so you're looking at a total of like two consecutive hours of 1080 footage. And just the import and rendering color correction on that was sometimes like an hour plus of just sitting around and the computer's fans would kick on. It sounded like it was gonna blast off into outer space, you know, and I knew this thing is not gonna keep up for much longer, so I had to, to upgrade from there. So yeah, I, I would toss the computer in there as well, but drum gear, camera gear, computer, if that stuff is out of the way, then the editing comes with time, the lights you'll always be tweaking around, you know, everything else is just sort of, you'll piece together over the years, but those three, I would say, spend your money there first, for sure. Great what question, about, man, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Well, what about their time? The time, oh, it, that's, it's so all at once. 
it's kind of all at once, right? Everything I mean, evenly placed, right? One successful studio day for me involves all of these things. It involves the cameras and lenses and adjusting the settings and understanding, you know, you're learning every time you touch the thing. Um, it involves audio, microphone adjustments. It involves tuning the gear. It involves editing and getting to know plugins, you know, whatever particular project that I'm working on, you're definitely going to have to do all of that stuff. You know, setting is the only one on this list that is not really relevant for me. I'm not moving my kit around town to different places like that. But the other four, it's like a, it's a whole living, breathing sort of thing, man. It's a, a successful day. You should touch each one of these realms. You should touch your camera, mess around with it a little bit, learn something. Same with editing. Same with drum gear. Yeah. I don't know that you should just pick one and spend a year doing it. It's all, that's all living, breathing, one big amorphous blob of content, online content creator skills. So yeah, all at the same time, Matt, I don't know that you need to pick a direction there. All right, cool. Well, thank you, Ethan, for the wonderful question. Yeah, thanks, man. And I like when they get extensive with the questions oh, like that. Yeah. Put these things in order. Send <laughs> us fun. deep questions. Yeah. We want to go in detail. It's our favorite thing to do. It's why we talk for an hour. Next question from Emmanuel Oricio. Yo, Adam, nice chops. My drum teacher says that chops are useless, and there is nothing musical in them. What do you think? <laughs> nothing musical in chops. That sounds like an overstatement, either by your drum teacher or by you. That is that is oversimplified, that's for sure. I think there is certainly a sentiment from people who missed the, the chop train in like 06 or whenever, whenever gospel chops and all that, that YouTube stuff started popping off. I think people that missed that, that boat and never got into chopping or shedding and the idea of flowing around the kit, you know, they tend to go a little bit more of the, the purest musician route where it's all about serving the audience, it's all about pocket and groove and making people dance, and that is the role of the musician. And listen, that's not a that's not a flawed perspective. If that's how you look at music, then sure, that's fine. That that's it's okay to feel that way. It's also okay to purely be attracted to drums because of chops. If that's what you want to do, and that's your relationship to this instrument, is going in a room even by yourself and sitting down and just playing chops for hours it doesn't invalidate your musicianship, right? It, I don't care. Like, it doesn't make you any less less of a musician as I define a musician. You're a person who plays music, and you enjoy the, exp the expression that comes with sitting down and playing chops. Now, if you define musicality along the lines of musical performance that is intended to entertain other people, well, yeah, playing chops is, like, objectively less entertaining, especially to non-drummers. Like, I don't know who you're trying to impress with just playing chops. Drummers are the only ones that care about that. But it doesn't invalidate, like, musicianship as a whole. I think it depends on how you define musicality. There's also all these beautiful hybrids. I'm really talking in extremes right now when I say it's, like, the choppers versus the, like, pop giggers or whatever. Like, it's, there's all of these hybrids in between. I would consider myself a hybrid where I enjoy sitting down, shedding, chopping out, and playing non-musical, like, rhythmic vomit for an hour. I love that. It's one of the things that I love most about playing the drums, is just freely expressing through the language of rhythm. I love that. It's probably my mo most favorite thing about playing drums. But that doesn't mean I have an inability to not express myself that way and to fill a role uh, as, as in sitting in with a band or to play like a basic rock groove for an hour. I can totally do that as well. So that they're not mutually, mutually exclusive and you don't have to have these harsh lines. So I think a lot of this comes down to like, weirdly like a little bit of ideology 
that that is within the drum industry because I, I, maybe you took your drum teacher out of context a little bit, but I would be surprised if any real professional drum teacher said chops are not musical because it's a matter of time before you find yourself on a gig where you're required to play a chop. And like, what are you going to raise your hand and be like, excuse me, I don't think that's very musical. Like, dude, sometimes you got to play like a, a little bit busy of a fill. Um, and I also think if you are if you are quick to dismiss the idea of connecting rhythmic ideas and flowing them together like you would do in a drum shed, <clears throat> I think there's an argument that you are missing something. Just like the guy who sits in the shed all day, if he's quick to dismiss the idea of simply holding a groove and what value that can have to the musical community, you're also missing something. There, there's value in both of these things. So <clears throat> my argument would be to strike a balance between the two. You know, It shouldn't be about all, all one or the other. I don't like the distinction of like, I'm a chops drummer or I'm a groove drummer. Like, who cares? Just, you know, you, you should have an ability to touch all of these worlds. Preferences are certainly okay, but you don't have to separate them to, to such a degree where we're playing this, this ideological team game, right? Where there's the real musicians who know it's all about pocket and groove and paying the bills. And then there's like these chopping guys who just, it's so, it's so silly. It's so ridiculous. So if your drum teacher actually gave you that quote, that chops are not musical, wrong. That, that's oversimplified and it, it's truly not addressing like the heart of the issue. We could do a whole podcast about this specific thing because this is a weird team deal that I've seen people, um, I don't know, they, they, they use it like an attack sometimes. Like you're mm. just a chop drummer. Like I've heard that before. Ooh, could we like, do like, all right, uh, chill. We, we bring purists on the podcast and just have them debate like Joe, <laughs> Joe Rogan style. I want, just... I want Tommy Igo versus Chris Paprota. Like, <laughs> you know what, I, we did, uh, this is like the third shout out that we did, but if you want to get Tommy Igo and Chris Paprota on the podcast for this, mm. oh my God. There's a lot of opinions that, that I think are valuable in this conversation. Yeah. The whole crew of like those genuine purist choppers, Mason Guidry, Chris Paprota, Andy Prado, Forrest Rice, among many, many other people. Yeah, man, th those guys, I'd love to hear some of their opinions on this as well, because they're really so far down like the the chop shed wormhole. Mm -hmm. But um, also they can outgroove half the people listening to this. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe we'll take that one a little further one day. It's an interesting topic for sure, <laughs> for sure. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Emmanuel. Uh, that's it for questions. If you have any questions, please comment below. Let us know. Comment on an Instagram post of Adams. Go to the members area of OrlandoDrummer.com or shoot me an email at Chris at OrlandoDrummer.com. I'll get them. I'll put them on the podcast. We'll ask Adam if we haven't already asked him the questions before, and we'll get his thoughts. Cool. And that's it. That's all I got. Cool. That's it for my script. Uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> outline. Um, so I'll let you close it out after that. Cool. Okay, so this is kind of a weird one, but you know, I posted a, the podcast last week. Um, sort of towards the end, there was a question about if I would ever take a gig. And I mentioned that my number one choice would be Rascal Flats. And there was... <laughs> admittedly like like kind of a weird reaction to that some people <laughs> really yeah some people really dislike that Rascal answer flats sucks. And, and, e <laughs> and even were i mean i understand it it's a very odd band for for me to say because it's not like my style is pop country necessarily but i wanted to offer a slightly further explanation in closing out this podcast as to why that specific style of music um, has any appeal to me at all? Because I think a lot of people would probably put me closer into like, I don't know, like a progish category or some rock band or things like that. But one of the things that I love about a band like Rascal Flats, and it's not just them, it applies also to 
I don't know. I mean, to Taylor Swift, to like anybody in the singer songwriter type category, like why that category is valuable to me. And it's because there is there's this interesting history with country music. A lot of people don't understand. My mom listened to country. I grew up listening to country. So that's my personal connection to it. But I totally get the cringe factor that people, you know, associate with country music. I totally understand that singing about back roads and pickup trucks and cut off jeans. I get it. I, I hear the same lyrics you do. It's real corny. But country music really has its roots in folk. And folk music was used to tell stories and preserve stories within certain communities, which is a very interesting part of that genre. It is storytelling music. When you think about like Americana and indie folk and even all the way up to modern pop country, a lot of the the lack of that metaphorical lyricism that they use where it's like really direct and we're just saying the, the weird part out loud, like a, a lot of that stuff is rooted in the fact that, that it comes from folk music. And so it was used to preserve and tell stories within communities. So storytelling is at the root of country music. And that is one of the things that I love about it. Because when I think of a song, you know, the drummer in me, the musician in me, that part is attracted to like the cool guitar riff, to the breakdown, to like the, the, the gent rhythms that somebody might come up with. Yes, that stuff is all cool on like a front end tactical level. It's really fun to listen to a song for those moments. But also if I zoom out in my musical mind, I like seeing somebody take an idea of a theme and say, how can I retell this story so someone understands exactly how I feel? And that requires a lot more depth than just a musical moment. It's not about what what rudiment did you use to play this pattern? Like, yes, that stuff sounds dope, but also you're not communicating a, a tremendous amount of, of depth. There's not a story behind something like that. So as I step out of drum world, rudiment world, chop world, and I get into what it is that I love about music itself, so much of it is wrapped up in the ability to communicate a story. And I genuinely believe this. It's my personal opinion that country music does the best job of this. Some of the best storytellers in music, you know, they're they're country artists, right? Because that's just the background that that genre comes with. Not to say you can't have them in other genres, certainly. Uh, blues is another great example of a storyteller's genre. Um, but, you know, if I were to throw out some other artists in that category, besides Rascal Flatts, uh, Brandy Carlisle is another one. A powerful, powerful storyteller. You know, yes, singer-songwriter applies, but also... This woman is out here telling stories, powerful, powerful stories um, that just hit me in a very, very special place. So if you're somebody right now, a lot of younger people sort of have this. They hear country, they hear pickup trucks and, you know, I don't know, whatever goofy shit people are writing country songs about well, nowadays. Well, there was, there was that, um, this is another comedy reference. She there thinks my tractor's sexy, you know, shit like that. Yeah, <laughs> there was that Bo Burnham bit where he made mm. fun of modern country music, and he's yeah. right. It's It became very pop-focused and in the name of, uh, you know, collecting a check, right? Yes. If you say, I hate country music, please go back to the roots of country music. Yeah. Listen to Johnny Cash. Listen to Willie Nelson. Put yourself in their shoes while listening to their music and understand sure. that that's where the genre will come from. Sure. But I get the criticism of pop country. It's weird Well, to it, go along with your point. Well, here's yeah. another metaphor. I'm glad, glad you mentioned that. Like, Go back to the roots to understand where it came from. We could say this about hip-hop. If, yeah, if you're course. judging hip-hop off of like Lil Yachty, 
bro, you need to go back and listen to where hip, like that's not, that's not a great representation of what hip hop is. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're missing stuff. That's, it slammed into pop culture in a very awkward way and I will get through it, don't worry. <laughs> it's not a criticism of Lil Yachty, but I think a lot of people have like that eye roll kind of reaction. The same way you might roll your eyes at somebody like, like a Nickelback pop song or something. I, I get it. I, I hear the same thing you do. I understand. But there are certain qualities in some of these genres that, that man, you just got to go back a little bit further and understand where this came from and see that value. So mm-hmm. as a storyteller myself, as someone who values that skill set and takes that approach to videography, to drum lessons, to, to podcasts in some way, you know, I do think about things from like a storyteller's mindset sometimes. And, um, and yeah, that, that's really, that's why Rascal Flats gets the number one spot. I fucking love their stories. They tell amazing stories, right? And they use all of the tools in the musical arsenal from texture and dynamics and tones and mixing and aggression. And, and they use all of it, all of it to tell beautiful stories that I find incredibly moving. So anyway, if you were one of the people that shot down Rascal Flats last week, here's my attempt to tell you, give it another shot. Play, uh, what's, what's my, let's close with a song recommendation. These days, ooh, throw on these days, man. That's a good song. Oh my goodness, beautiful song. Okay, I'll leave it on that. I'm not gonna rant about Rascal Flats anymore. Shout out Jim Riley. I'm jealous. I want your gig. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in this week, guys. Really appreciate it. This has been Orlando Drummer Podcast, episode 15, and we'll see you next week. Cool. See you. Bye. Take care.